Dear congregation, the theme for this morning's sermon is God speaks of comfort. God speaks of comfort. Three points of attention. First, darkness. We hear and we read about darkness. Dark circumstances in life. Second point of attention, providence. We hear and we read about God's providence, God's care. And third, jealousy. We hear about God's jealous love. God speaks of comfort. Three thoughts, darkness, providence, jealousy. So the first thought is darkness. This morning we are listening to the first night vision of Zechariah. He received eight night visions in one night, just one after the other. It is noteworthy and remarkable that the night in which Zechariah received these eight ninth visions is so precisely dated, very precise. We read in verse 7, upon the four and twentieth day, so we even know the exact date, the fourth, four and twentieth day of the eleven months, which is the month Sebat. In the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord to Zechariah. The absolute date is February 15, 519 years before Christ. That's the absolute date. The 15th of February 519 years before Christ. The relative date is the second year of the reign of King Darius. And that second year of the reign of King Darius is also, also mentioned in the book of Ezra. Ezra 4 verse 24. I'll read that verse for you. We read in Ezra 4 verse 24. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. This may ring bells with us. We are probably all familiar with this story. We all know, I think, that the Jews were led into exile because of their sins. We do not sin cheaply. God is a righteous God. He disciplines and chastises his people because of their sins. Even though they are the people of God, 
God loves them. They are brought into exile. Again, dear congregation, because of their sin. Tragic. We do not cheap sin cheaply. Well, this exile was in 586 before Christ. In 538, there was a first return of the Jews. And immediately after that return, as we read in Ezra 3, the Jews began rebuilding, renovating the city, the walls, the temple, and they began worshipping the Lord in the temple. But there were many opponents, mainly the Samaritans, and they began to toward the work of the Jews. And we read in Ezra 4, verse 4, that because of these opponents and the opposition of the Samaritans, the Jews became discouraged and afraid. And even a little bit later, on the command of the then-present king Artaxerxes, work on the city and the temple were halted, as we read in Ezra 4, verse 21. And for more than 15 years, no work was done on the temple. And the Jews were discouraged and afraid. But then the Lord began to chastise them again. We read, especially in Haggai 1, that the people of Israel became worldly-minded. They delayed and delayed and delayed the rebuilding of the temple, the renovation of the temple. No work was done on the temple. And they built themselves, as we read in Haggai 1, sealed houses, luxury, big houses. And there was no work done on the temple. And the Lord chastised them, making their income scarce. We read about this time in Haggai 1 verse 6. Ye have so much worked hard, and bring in little. Ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is no warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. They set the wrong priorities. Not on the renovation of the Lord's house. Not on the Lord himself. They become worldly minded, discouraged, afraid. And they focus on their daily life. Wrong priorities. And in these days, Zechariah is called to prophesy. 
And we have read the first seven verses of Zechariah 1. And we heard the preaching of Zechariah. Repent! Repent! In other words, you set the wrong priorities in your life. Turn to God. Why are you focusing on your sealed houses? And the temple is still in ruins. Why are you afraid of these opponents, the Samaritans? I am your God. Focus on me. Set your priorities right. This is in short the message of the prophets back in those days. Summarized in this very simple word. Repent. Turn toward God. Hear repentance. Expect all from him. Make him your first priority in life. Turn to the Lord. And then Zechariah promises, where, when you will turn to the Lord, the Lord will turn toward you. You read this clearly in verse 4. Turn ye now from your evil ways. And verse 3, actually, verse 3. Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts. And then this rich promise, I will turn unto you. This summarizes the preaching of prophet Zechariah. And exactly three months after Zechariah began this preaching of repentance, the Lord gives him these eight visions in the middle of the night. In one night, eight visions, three months after began, he began his preaching of repentance. But before we move on to the content of that first night vision, just one simple question. And please reflect on it and take it with you home. Are we setting the right priorities in our life? Even when things seem to be against us. Or, as we read in Revelation, the words of Christ to the congregation of Ephesus, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. That's the problem with Israel back in those days. And let's reflect on it. Do we love Christ? Because he loved us so much that he gave his life for us to bring a full salvation to us, to give his eternal life, a perfect righteousness, all we need for time and eternity. Is our priority Christ and him alone? Do you still remember the time of your first love that he spoke to you for the first time? I love you with an everlasting love. Or did we forget that time and we became worldly minded? And we are discouraged because of what is happening in our life. We are afraid of the many opponents, of the lusts in our heart 
the temptations of the world around us, the things that are happening in our family life. Let us stir one another up this morning to serve that good-doing Lord wholeheartedly with fervent love. Because there is fervent love with the Lord. Well, let's move on to the first night vision. The initial setting of that first night vision is one of darkness. And surprise. And therefore confusion. But let's read it. Verse 8. Verse 8. I saw by night, and behold a man riding upon a red horse. And he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. And behind him were there red horses, speckled and white. It begins, I saw by night, it is dark. And this is a picture of the circumstances back in those days. For the Israelite, I just gave you a few, a short breathing of that time. It was a dark time. Literally, of course, it's night here, but especially figuratively, night. And in that night, we read, and behold... Do you see? Behold what a man riding upon a red horse. He is the central figure here. Do you see that man? It's amazing, by the way. It's dark. It's in the middle of the night. But with the Lord's help, Zechariah does see that man. He sees that man riding on a horse and he he is even able to discern the color of that horse. Things that are normally hidden for us because it's dark. But things that are normally hidden for us are shown to Zechariah, shown to the people of Israel, shown to us. And these things are comforting things, important things. And it's all about this man. In the night, see this man riding on a red horse. It's all about him. He is a warrior. Because back in those days, horses were only used for war. So one thing is very clear. This man riding on that red horse is a mighty warrior. We continue to read... He stood among the myrtle trees. These are big bushes that grow quite tall, up to 30 feet. So it even becomes more darker. It's darkness that man stands among the myrtle trees, 30 feet high. But it, there is one thing noteworthy here. The small branches of the myrtle tree are one of the four species used on the Feast of Sukkot. And the Feast of Sukkot is a feast of thanksgiving that the Lord 
led the people of Israel through the desert for 40 years. So when Zechariah discerns here myrtle trees, he, as a true Israelite, is immediately remembered of the Feast of Sakkat, and that the Lord saved his people and preserved them for 40 years there in the desert. It is a comforting thought that this man, this mighty warrior on that red horse, is standing among the myrtle trees. A message in itself. Well, these myrtle trees are in the bottom. Again, darkness. Dark, high bushes in a ravine, in a valley. But Zechariah sees more. And behind him, you see, it's all about that man, were red horses, speckled and white. It turns out that that man on the right horse is not alone. He is joined by other horses and riders upon these horses. All together, a mighty army of warriors. But nobody sees them. Right? They are hidden in the dark, in the night, in a ravine. But with God's help, God shows Zechariah this man and the other warriors. Let's move on to verse 9. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? Of course, Zechariah is confused. What does all of this mean? Why do I see that man on the red horse and these other mighty warriors in the middle of the night, in a ravine, standing among the myrtle trees? Myrtle trees that depict God's preserving power for his people. Why? Lord, help me. He sees things that are hidden for us, that are mysterious things that belong to the spiritual world. And how can he understand the things that belong to the spiritual world without God's explaining word? That's impossible. We are all blind in ourselves and from ourselves for the spiritual world and for the truth. And we need to hear God's voice to explain us what is going on in the spiritual world. But the Lord does not leave his servant in that state of confusion and darkness. He gives a guiding angel how good the Lord is. And that guiding angel takes the word, and that angel explains to Zechariah what he sees. Just another question as a reflection. How did you came here this morning? Hungry to hear the word of God. Hungry to see and understand the truth. Hungry to learn more about God and his dealings with his people. Hungry to know more about salvation. How to live in holiness. What's your prayer this morning? Lord, help your servant and help me this morning that I may come to a fuller understanding of the truth. 
and the purpose of my life. Lord, help us as a small flock this morning. The Lord is so willing to help. Here, he gives a guiding angel to Zechariah. And that guiding angel is, is the prophet. And he speaks. He reveals God's word. Let's continue to read. And we move on to the second thought. Providence. Verse 10. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro from the earth. It is remarkable that at this time that man on the red horse takes the floor. He is the one who speaks. Not that guiding angel. He'll speak later. But at this time, that man on the red horse, he speaks. He is clearly the leader of that group, the commander of these mighty warriors. And he comes up with an answer. And it's a surprising answer for two reasons. First of all, that man on that red horse makes clear for Zechariah that he and all the other riders come from the Lord. In other words, they are angels. Remember, the people of Israel were discouraged. They were frightened. They became worldly-minded. They postponed the rebuilding of the temple. They probably asked, Lord, where are thou? Thou brought us back from exile. But we are still in the midst of dark circumstances. Where art thou? And here Zechariah sees that the Lord has dealings with his people. There are angels. A mighty army of angels standing there on Israel's territory. The Lord has surely not forgotten his people. But beloved, how could the Lord ever forget his people? Even if everything seems to be against us. Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her sucking child? That's impossible, isn't it? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget but I, says the Lord, will never forget. What a promise. But there is a second remarkable thing here. That man on the red horse continues to speak. He anticipates Zechariah's question and gives an answer. These angels are sent out to patrol all over the earth. And they are here to report, to report to the Lord. In other words, the Lord knows everything. He knows exactly what is going on in your life. The life of Redeemer Church, the life of the Free Reformed Church, the life of the people in Michigan, in the United States, in Israel. He knows it exactly. 
what a comfort this is for us. The Lord knows what is going on on earth. He sent out his angels. They are on patrol and they report back to the Lord. But what an exhortation is this. Not to be discouraged when things are against us. Be not frightened and discouraged. Please. What is the content of their report? Verse 11. What is the content of the report of these patrol? Verse 11. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle tree and said, and here comes the report, we have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Is at rest. It is remarkable here. Let's first see this. That that man on the red horse is called, how is he called here? The angel of the Lord. And they answered that man on the red horse, but it says here, the angel of the Lord. And we all know that the angel of the Lord is an Old Testamentic picture of the Son of God. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is identified with God himself. He is God. Where the angel of the Lord, God himself in his son, is present here. This is God's son. And with him, God himself is present there among his people, though hidden before their eyes. They are discouraged and frightened and afraid. They have set the wrong priorities. And yet, in the darkness of their life, God is present in his Son. He is standing there in the midst of his people. God, give us eyes to see your presence among us. Give us eyes to see the love of Jesus Christ, your Son. There shall be joy after reading this, as we read in Zephaniah 3. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And it continues in Zechariah 3. The king of Israel, listen, even the Lord is in the midst of thee. Through his angel, God's son, he is present there and here. And we continue to read in Zephaniah 3, In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. Oh, we know so much more in the light of the New Testament, right? We know that the angel of the Lord is indeed Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Oh, Jesus is such a mighty warrior. He is such a mighty warrior. He is. 
But it's remarkable how he shows himself to be a mighty warrior. It is so remarkable how the Son of God, that mighty warrior, overcame God's, his, and our enemies by becoming a suffering servant. By becoming the most humble of all men. By laying aside his strength and power, he became the mighty warrior. By suffering, by dying at Calvary's cross for the sin of the world, he showed himself to be a mighty warrior. He defeated Satan. He paid for our sins. What a mighty warrior is here, is he? By humbling himself, by hanging at that cross. He fought the battle. How? By giving his life. That's how he fought the battle. To pay for our sins. Let us listen to that report. We hear them say, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold... All the earth sitteth still and is at rest. All the earth sitteth still. And is it normally the message that there is silence should be a good message, right? We love to hear about rest and peace in our life. And Michigan, in the United States, in Israel, we even pray for peace. But in this particular circumstance, it is a terrible message to receive. The people of Israel didn't long for peace and to hear that everything was at rest. Because rest and peace on the world will mean that their difficult circumstances and afflictions will continue. That the Persians and the Samaritans can continue their afflictions and being opponents. While the Persian Empire is secure and at ease, the Israelites are oppressed and under foreign domination. There is no son of David on the throne, and there is certainly no Messiah waging their war and bringing peace. You know what the Israelites expected back in those days? As we read in Haggai 2, the shaking of the nations. That's what they expected. But there is no shaking of nations. The message here, everything on earth is at rest. There is peace. It's such a discouraging message. On one hand, it is clear by now that the Lord knows everything. He sent out his angels and the Son of God is on earth. These angels report back to the Lord, so the Lord knows exactly what is going on. But where is the action? Where is the action? And at times we can ask the same thing in our life, like in Psalm 42. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression 
of the enemy. Will things remain forever against us? That's the question of the Israelites and maybe the question of our life. But let's continue to read God's word. The man on that red horse, the angel of the Lord, the Son of God, takes the floor. Hear his words. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which thou hast had indignation? For seventy years. This is so amazing and comforting. For the second time this night, the Son of God knows the thoughts of his people. He knows their feelings. And without them saying anything, he gives words to their thoughts and their feelings. Before they have time to express their thoughts and their worries, he brings them before his heavenly Father. He prays for them. He intercedes for them. Is that amazing? Christ shows himself already in the Old Testament to be the great intercessor. As we read in Hebrews, he ever liveth. Already back then, in Old Testamentic days, he forever lives to make intercession for them, for his people. Oh, during his life on earth, he was often in prayer. Now in heaven, he intercedes for his people. But apparently, he already did so in the Old Testament. The Son of God was the intercessor of the people of Israel. It seems at times as if the Lord is angry with us, and we walk in spiritual darkness. But yet, the Lord knows everything. It seems as if the Lord at times is angry with us, the people of Israel at those days were discouraged and fearful and more occupied with their daily life than with the things that belong to God. But the Son of God never forgets his people. And he knows exactly what is in their hearts, what they feel, what they think. And he intercedes for them. And what follows is even more remarkable. Let's continue to read. And the Lord, the Heavenly Father, answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. The Lord speaks with good and comfortable words. You know, again, this story is again and again remarkable and has unexpected turns and twists. We all remember that the book of Zechariah begins with the preaching of repentance. Repent, repent, repent. And then that promise, when you repent, the Lord will have repentance for, on you. 
When you turn to the Lord, the Lord will turn to you in his mercy and grace. Well, we know when we compare Scripture with Scripture, and we open the book of Haggai, and we put it next to the book of Zechariah, that the people of Israel indeed did respond to the preaching of Zechariah. And there was repentance. But we do not read about repentance in Zechariah. You just read that Zechariah preaches, Repent! Turn to the Lord! We do not read about the response of the people of Israel. And yet, and yet, the Lord has repentance on his people. Isn't that amazing? Without any sign of repentance among the people of Israel, as we read Zechariah, the Lord has repentance on his people. Oh, the Lord is so good. Without telling us what the response of the people of Israel is, here, right in Zechariah, the Lord shows repentance on his part. He knows what is going on, and he speaks good and comfortable words. How wonderful God is. And that God is still the same God. Salvation is his work, and his work alone. Well, let's move on to the third thought, shortly. In the next verses, the guiding angel explains to Zechariah the content of these good and comforting words. But the reason that Zechariah hears all these things is that he needs to cry out. This night vision, all these wonderful things, these comfortable and good words, they are not only for Zechariah, they are for the people of Israel living there in darkness. What a wonder it is that you can hear the word of God Sunday after Sunday, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, and that there is a preacher again and again standing here behind this pulpit and crying out, literally shouting out loud. That's what it says in Hebrew, shouting out loud because we are all deaf. And therefore the Lord shouts, I have mercy upon you. He shouts the good news. Well, let's listen to that good news. Verse 14a and 15. Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem. Again, they were living in darkness, discouraged, afraid, many opponents. They set their own priorities in their life, busy with their own life. They forgot the Lord and his house. Zechariah doesn't mention repentance. And yet you read, you read, I am jealous for Jerusalem, for Zion. I am jealous for Redeemer Church. I am zealous for, and it even says with a great jealousy, a great jealousy, so full of love. 
And we continue to read, And I am very sore displeased with the heathen, Samaritans, Persians, etc., that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. What a wonderful message and comforting message this is. You hear twice the word displeased. It says here, yes, people of Israel, yes, people of Redeemer, yes, Pastor Prunk, I was a little displeased with you because of your sin. A little. I brought you into exile, but in God's eyes, it is a little displeased because he will never forget his people. As a mother cannot forget her child, he will never forget, in spite of their sins. Oh, he chastened and disciplined his people, right? He brought them in difficult circumstances. There were these opponents. There were hardly harvests, so there was no income. Everything seemed to be against them. Indeed, they were. The Lord chastised them. He disciplined them, but he says here, I was a little displeased. I am jealous. You know why the Lord is jealous? Because we oftentimes turn to the idols and the world. And we make the Lord jealous. He longs after your heart. He longs to see fruits. He longs to see that your first priority is Jesus Christ, his son. He gave him not for nothing. He gave him as your savior. And when we turn to sin and to the lust of our heart, when we give in to temptations, when we become worldly minded, he is jealous. That's God. Isn't it amazing? I was a little displeased with your Redeemer. But he continued, I am very sore displeased with the heathen because they are at ease. You know what it means? They live their own life. They do not even ask for the Lord. They live as if they are God. And they never turn to him. They never ask questions. They never cried out. And he's very sore displeased, dear congregation. Ask for the Lord. Seek him. Cry out. Don't be as these heathen that live as gods their own life. Never asking for God. They are at ease. They think they are strong. They are mighty to conquer the world. And the Lord says, I am very sore displeased. It will not end well with them, but with his people. We forget him so often, right? We tend to forget him. We are so weak, right? That fight against the lusts in our heart is difficult, isn't it? The temptations in the world are so strong. The circumstances can be so depressing. We just mentioned three losses in a couple of months. 
that's almost unbearable. But yet, the Lord says, I love thee with an everlasting love. And therefore, make me your priority. Turn to me. Well, it ends with rich promises. Let's read them. And these are the last words for this morning. 16 and 17. Therefore, to say is the Lord. And remember, Zechariah does not mention any sign of repentance. Right? Repentance from the Lord. But he doesn't mention repentance from the people of Israel. It may have been there. But Zechariah is silent here. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned. You see? Salvation is the Lord's work. With mercies. Yes, I was displeased for a little. But I'm jealous because you are my people. And I will turn to you. My house shall be built in it. I shall build my own house. When you are busy building for yourself sealed houses, I will take care for repentance in your life and transform you that you will begin to build my house. You see, it's the Lord's salvation is the Lord's work from the beginning to the very end. How great God is. How amazing our Savior is. He continues to speak. A line, that's a measuring line, shall be stretched forth. The Lord is already preparing his work. There is that measuring line. Oh, he might do wonderful, wonderful things here in the Redeemer. He is stretching forth his measuring line. But dear congregation, set your priorities right. Cry yet, cry again. We need to hear this message again and again and again. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, my cities, through prosperity, shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet again comfort Zion, and shall yet again, a threefold again, choose Jerusalem. Despite their discouragement, despite that they were afraid, despite that they set the wrong priorities, despite the fact that they were worldly-minded and built themselves sealed houses and stopped the work of rebuilding, renovating the Lord's house, yet, 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 I choose you. We have such an amazing God. Oh, serve him. Dear congregation, put him central. Not a pastor, not an elder, not yourself. Jesus Christ, that man on the red horse, standing there in the darkness, ready to perform his mighty work. Do you see that man? Did you see that man this morning? The angel of the Lord, the dear Savior.